Welcome, friends. You're listening to The Feeling is Musical, as presented by the Somers County Music Project. My name is Erica Lee. Today is the second of two episodes with Katiri Collins, and we're chatting about developmental transformation as a strategy for talking about power dynamics and social roles. Please note that this episode includes content about Black racial trauma and white supremacy. Katiri Collins is an expressive arts therapy graduate student at Lesley University. She identifies as a Black queer woman who wants to fight for both the Black and LGBTQIA community. She is an artist, a musician, a poet, and loves children. She's very excited to work with young kids doing play therapy in her final year of clinicals. Something else that I want to talk about was in your review, you had mentioned a few different theories and models related to guarding against assimilation into white supremacy and developing resiliency within African-American clients. How did your research or how's your research impacting your clinical practice or how you're envisioning your clinical practice? Um, And is there a specific theory or model that really resonated with you? This is a very important like question for me. And I have to say, because of my own personal experience, um, one of the theories, which is called racial socialization, which basically means it's various explicit and implicit messages that provide African-American youth and kids with healthy methods of coping with the realities of racism and racial hostility. The reason this is so important When you teach your kids much younger what racism is, racial discrimination, racial hostility, there's a couple, there's multiple things that can happen. One, as they get older, it actually helps their mental health. Mm. Um, Because when they're not aware of that, when they're told those information beforehand, they actually are able to develop those coping skills later on life to deal with those hostilities and racism. And also a lot of this is through storytelling, Mm. getting information from um, your community members, your family, church, your teachers, peers, role models, and all of these individuals encourage coping skills. And when these, when all this information is told, it increases racial pride. It encourages racial pride to like, you know, some people might be, I hate to be you know, this type of person or different things, depending on what it is. And as a person of color, a black person, I can be like, I'm proud to be black. Mm. Yes, it is hard to be here in this world, but I am proud to be black. And part of that is through storytelling as my family, as my mother has told the resiliency of um, our family did come from slaves. Mm. So telling the history of how our family survived slavery how they got out of slavery and, you know, the generations of resiliency and how the family has tried to create more opportunities for us, like being able to get education and housing. And so definitely that is so important. And the lack of racial socialization, as mentioned, really can suffer a person's mental health, a Black person's mental health, um, when those racism and discrimination and hostility comes up later in life. Mm. 
I also found this to be so, so important to teach these messages at such a young age because it's something we're going to deal with regardless. Yeah. Even as, as a baby, I mean, unfortunately (laughs) it's going to happen. And so why not teach these messages at a young age? Why not allow these coping skills to be developed so that they are better able to handle these issues later on in life? And um, I can say for my own self that it has been helpful to hear those messages, to become prideful as being a Black person and um, just having all of that information. And so it really does make a huge difference. Yeah. I think I remember reading in your thesis that tying back to what we were saying earlier about how important it is that the white therapist or white clinician is acknowledging their social position and and what they're bringing into the context of that relationship is also that, and correct me if I am saying this incorrectly, but I think I remember in your writing, you were saying that that also helps support the racial socialization because if the person can feel like they can talk about it and it's not something that I think essentially boiled down to like some level of having to feel like it's a secret or like they're not, can't openly talk about it, then that would detract from or take away from the socialization. Is that an accurate understanding? Yeah, I mean, it, it opens up your, I guess, your mind, your verbal ability to be like, well, you know, like you said, instead of hiding, because oftentimes in anything, when you feel that you can't vocalize internally, it really can destroy you when Mm -hmm. you have to keep secrets. And so when you're able to have that racial pride and being able to verbalize that, it really significantly helps, helps your mental health, can help family members, the community to kind of show that it's okay to be Black. (laughs) It's okay to vocalize, you know, racial trauma is going to happen. How can we all help each other to learn how to cope? Mm. It's unavoidable, unfortunately. Yeah. Another, I have so many quotes from this. I was just writing down quotes like nonstop, but (laughs) another one of the things is I'll just read it is one of the most oppressive tendencies that came out of Western therapeutic traditions is establishing Western standards as the norm, end of quote. And then in the following pages, you explain that the harm is caused by this and then the labor that white creative arts therapists place on therapists of color to enact the change. And so then you started discussing developmental transformation as a strategy for beginning conversations about power dynamics and social roles. Can you share more about developmental transformation? Sure. So when we talk about developmental transformation. Um, It's actually a technique that's under drama therapy. It allows for the possibility of race to be deconstructed. And the way this process is created is through the opportunity of opening a space that allows for power dynamics and social roles to be played out. So And a lot of this is actually through body movements. It's kind of a complex (laughs) technique, but part of it is um, it's like a play space. So in drama Mm. therapy, you know, you're acting kind of. So the white clinician basically makes an ethical agreement 
between the two of them that they will create a mutual, you know, they will restrain from against harm and create positive communication that during this play that the white clinician and the um, Black client will be engaging in. And part of that is that the therapist really is sacrificing their privileged position as the expert by Mm -hmm. entering into this play space and offering themselves as kind of the play object for the client and their materials. And why this is so important is because um, by the therapist naming the power differential, as we've mentioned before, it offers the play space to be able to potentially create a better transformation and opportunity to increase trust for the client to work through huge issues between having a white clinician and being a Black client. And so it's really having this play space where, as mentioned before, where, you know, the white clinician admits, you know, they come from a white supremacist um, society mm-hmm. and allowing them to play that out. Yeah. It was really interesting to read about, and I appreciate you sharing more. As you're describing it, I understand the how it comes from drama, but I can see ways that that can be adapted to different arts disciplines. And I think it's really important that we're developing, especially in like education systems and then professional development opportunities for all types of clinicians that I feel an obligation to keep saying like white clinicians should not be putting that labor solely on therapists of color. They, y'all are done doing enough. Like you're good. We can do more. It's an assumption that we have to do it. Like it is our job. Yeah. It's like, no, like you said, we've done so much. And sadly, when white clinicians or white individuals are fighting for another culture, oftentimes white people would be like, oh, okay, another white person's doing this. <laughs> I can, maybe I should listen. Mm. And it's, it's a complex system. But yeah, I mean, it's Black people have done a lot. Black clinicians have done a lot and we just can't do it on our own. We just can't. Um, We are coming to the end of our time for today. Um, So I just have a couple of more things to ask you. My first question to wrap up is what have you learned in your process that you want to offer to others? Art. It is is truly powerful. (laughs) Um, It is such a powerful tool. I highly recommend people to engage in some sort of form of art that they feel comfortable in doing. A lot of times people think of art as you have to be this, you know, masterpiece or Mm. this professional. Mm -hmm. It's not about the product. It's not. It's really about the process. Um, It's about what you feel comfortable doing, um, that the internal healing power of the arts are just magnificent. (laughs) And I've seen that in my own life. And, And there's so many forms of art it's not just one thing. You know, you don't have to choose like doing painting or coloring or drawing. Art can be creating a house. Mm -hmm. And I find it liberating when I can do art, especially in those hard moments where I'm like, I don't want to talk to anyone right now, but let me, you know, let me color, let me sing, let me write some poetry. 
And I also want to really emphasize that art is not just for the rich and white people. Mm. The arts are for everyone. Yes. Regardless of your race, gender, economic status, everyone can heal from it and enjoy the arts. I love that. In the conclusion to your thesis, you had a couple of poems that you wrote. Would you be willing to read one or both of them to close us out? I would love to read both of them. I'll let you introduce them. Before Katiri closes us out, if you'd like to know more about the music project, please visit our website at ssnsamcsnsamcatmusicproject.org. On our website, you can also find transcripts for every podcast episode. If you want to follow along and receive notifications when new episodes are released, we encourage you to subscribe or connect with us on social media at SC Music Project. Thanks again to Kateri for being here today. Thank you listeners for listening and we'll talk to you next time. One of my poems is called We Clinicians Need to Be Better. I read the articles, made me think a lot, and frankly, I'm confused. Not confused in the material per se, but I guess also why. Why are we reading articles written over a decade ago? Why aren't we reading articles that are more recent? I mean, are there any recent ones? If there isn't, why is that? We are living in 2021, not 2000. Things have dramatically changed. I personally felt a lot of the material was lacking for this day and age. Personally, there really needs to be a change. A mix of various pieces, most likely, with new things throughout. We should be more aware. We should know better. There should be more culturally competent therapists and trainings. Our techniques should focus on meeting the needs of all clients, regardless those of color. But even still, we still have a long ways to go. We should want to be better. We should be better. Make ethical decisions that are in the best interests of our clients, despite our personal views and beliefs. This may bring about consequences, but you'll know you made the best decision because your client got the best you could offer. That's what's important. Making decisions that our colleagues may not like, but we are here to help our clients. So let's do that. Culturally and wholesomely, collectively and lovingly, all we can do is our best, and there is no one answer or perfect way. Take the steps to handle business and feel proud of the decisions you make. Yay. Um, and the second one um, is really personal to my own life. Mm. Uh, it's called My People Bleed for Healing. The year is 2021. I am a Black disabled woman in a world where so many hate me, my skin color, just being black angers many. I am hated without even being personally known. The racial trauma from the continuous hate is embedded in my mind, soul, and body. The trauma runs deep. The blood of my ancestors still haunt me. Why must I be filled with trauma just because I am black? Why do I have to be hated so much? I can't get away from it. I can't run. I can't hide. 
The trauma is continuous and follows me wherever I go. I don't always want to feel traumatized. I too want to heal. My people want and deserve to be healed. But how when the racial trauma is often a daily experience in all around us? Maybe we must get back to our roots to heal. We sang, we danced, we created to express our inner being and our blackness as a whole, done in community, often intentional. It is clear, it is time to create like our ancestors created. It is time to come back as a community. Be intentional about recreating the arts that our ancestors once used to express who they were. Let us heal this entrenched racial trauma, heal our inner soul, heal our mind and body, create until we are free. Let us make our ancestors proud, create inner healing they could not do. I am proud to be black and I will allow myself to be free from this pain and suffering. Wow. Thank you so much, Kateri, for sharing. I just so appreciate your time and your effort and being here and sharing what you know with us. I felt honored that you asked me to come on here. So I really thank you. 